don't just buy the S&P 500. There's a lot of risk in that. You know, maybe you need some bonds, maybe you need some international, maybe you need some other things in there. And you want to set that risk level so that you can hold, again, when it's not comfortable to hold. The key is consistency, not brilliance. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking some, about something many of us worry about, struggle with, or in some cases, maybe even avoid. It's called financial planning. And especially during uncertain times when the world is in flux, this can introduce a lot of stress, confusion often, but is something that we all should be paying attention to. So to help us, we have with us D Jonathan Dio, founder and CEO of Mindful Money and best-selling author of Mindful Money, Simple practices for reaching your financial goals and increasing your happiness dividend. Jonathan, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chad. Happy to be here. So we always like to start with kind of an off the wall question just so people get to know you a little bit better. And since we're all in the middle of this pandemic, that means we could spend more time at home. And so I'm curious if the time at home has allowed you to connect with or discover a hobby, a passion or a pastime that's kind of giving you solace in all of this. Uh, so I honestly don't feel like I've had any extra time. I've <laughs> work and, and during a market dislocation like this, you know, us in the investment management world, we've been doing a lot to improve clients' bottom lines. And at the same time, because there's been so much stress and fear, we've had to up our communication with clients. And we've actually said, okay, let's take this time and launch some new, some new financial literacy courses. That being said, I'm a big habit buff in my you know, earlier this year, you know, late December, early January, uh, I was on a plane. I, you know, as often happens, you get off the plane, you get sick, whatever's on the plane gets you. So I got sick and, and my morning, normal morning routines, uh, which involve meditation, some kind of high intensity exercise, reading, writing had kind of fallen off. So I did use, I did use the early work from home to get back into the routine. And I'm now on my second round of P90X in quarantine. Nice. Yeah, I got to the point where I was working out with resistance bands for the first 30 days. And I was like, okay, this is just not cutting it. So I ended up having uh, ended up putting in a home gym just because I needed to be I needed to be doing something more than those resistance bands were allowing. Totally. Everyone I've talked to that said, you know, when you've asked the question, what have you been doing? You know, shelter in place. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm exercising more. Yeah. yeah. And it's great. And it's interesting because kind of like we were talking before I hit record, I actually talked to the president of fitness gallery here in Denver and his business is up 368% this year. That's awesome. Because, Good for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, he should, and he was very grateful as, as we were talking about before. So uh, it's just, it's interesting to see how it's all shaking out. So let's talk about financial planning and I'm going to be really probably more honest here than I should be. This is black magic. For me, like I'm good at a lot of things, but when it comes to financial planning or understanding all of the, it just makes my head hurt, right? I'm, I'm creative by nature. It's always seemed like one of those disciplines for people that have more money than I have. So how did you get into it? And what was the path to lead you founding your um, mindful money? So frankly, it's a good way to ask the question. I, I wasn't initially interested in financial planning. I was, and I've always been interested in investing. I purchased my first stock when I was nine years old. I was at nine, 10, and 11 year old 
an avid reader of the old school binders value line research. I dabbled with investing until graduate school when I was hired by Dean Witter, which quickly morphed into Morgan Stanley, and I was hired with them to sell investments. So I spent five years looking for a home at different Wall Street firms before starting my own firm in 2001. And for me, financial planning came about as a way to improve investing. The problem with investing in our culture specifically is that we are almost always market focused and performance driven. And this is a problem because neither the market nor performance are ever in any way within our control. So if we're being honest as advisors, we can't predict or control markets. And the vast majority of people who attempt it fail. So there's gotta be a better way. So the first step of the better way is to understand the trade-offs that we need to make in order to make the dreams of our futures become a reality. And that's a, that's a real fancy way to say financial planning. If, if we change from a market-focused, performance-driven attitude to a goal-focused and planning-driven attitude, we begin to pull on levers that might actually improve our long-term outcomes. So I left Wall Street firms where I sold investments to specifically focus on those twin supports of financial planning and education. Okay. And so, and so we've got mindful money and mindful is, it's almost becoming a buzzword. Uh, I mean, I understand the science behind it. I'm, I'm a big believer in mindfulness, but I'm curious, is that shift in perspective where the application of that concept of mindfulness comes as you apply it to financial planning for your clients? Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate the way you asked the question, how, you know, how do we apply mindfulness to financial planning? Like what, what is the link there? So they seem really different to put it simply, as you sort of surmised, the plan becomes the signal in your financial life. The financial media is the noise. If we take for granted that markets are not predictable or controllable, then you got to ask the question, why does 95% of financial journalism focus on investment selection and market timing. Remember, those aren't predictable. So we need a tool to remember in the face of whatever the cat catastrophe of the day is that'll allow us to focus on that signal, which is our plan, not the noise. Now, if you, if you have a plan in place, and even if that plan is comprehensive, both describing current and future sort of spending, saving trade-offs, and an investment process specifically, the minute you turn on the radio or listen to a podcast or watch TV or open a newsreader, you're bombarded with this noise. <laughs> and we, we got to keep in mind that behavioral psychology tells us that we are riddled, absolutely riddled with cognitive and emotional biases that makes seeing the truth incredibly difficult in times of stress, like .com, Great Recession, or COVID-19. Right. So mindfulness creates a space for you to recognize the noise, allow the noise to be present, investigate the noise in the context of your plan, and then not react to it. Mindfulness creates a doorway to rational thought. I like that. I like, and it, it, I mean, it's very similar in, in any other place that you might apply mindfulness in and of itself. I like that concept of the space it gives you the space to, to think, right? Instead of, instead of give in to the noise. And so Based on that, you said something that was interesting. If if we're in, I mean, we're in a pandemic, so everybody's extremely stressed. There's heightened emotions across the board. Everybody's dealing with Zoom fatigue and all of this stuff. Are there specific actions you're suggesting that your clients take? Because what I thought I heard you say was focus on the signal, not 
the noise. So that would mean all of the noise we're hearing today may not necessarily mean much to us, depending on what our plan is. That's, I mean, <laughs> you said it perfectly. Like that's exactly right. Uh, in this circumstance today, we're all locked at home. There's an enormous amount of noise. And we talked earlier about how lucky we are that this hasn't affected our income. So I have to say that there are a lot of people, you know, right up front, there's a lot of people that lost jobs. A lot of people are having a really difficult time of this. So while I do believe they will pull through this, it's a lot easier for someone like me, someone like you working from home where we can still be functional and still work. It's a lot easier for us to be, uh, to manage our things and to pay attention to the signal and not be overwhelmed by the noise. But yeah, of course, there's definitely advice we offer in this kind of a time frame, And I put the advice in, in two different buckets. We remind people of the first bucket. And the first bucket is, this is the stuff we always do. So in the always bucket, it starts with accepting that bear markets, regardless of the causes, are normal. They're unavoidable part of the process. It's because they're unavoidable, unpredictable, uncontrollable that we always, this is again the always bucket, recommend people maintain the emergency fund, and always invest with three basic principles. The first is plan appropriate asset allocation. The second is broad diversification. And the third is regular rebalancing. And that sounds really simple because it is really simple, but most people are incapable of following these simple three-step processes. Then, because we are in the midst of a pandemic, there are a few things we're gonna suggest uh, that we do a little differently, but it's really just applying our you know, tried and true to a new scenario. And so when things break, which they routinely do, we recommend adding a rebalance. When markets are dislocated, what an opportunity to buy low and sell high. And then sometimes when some things go down in value, what a great chance to tax loss harvest. Look for something you can use to set against future gains. And then, you know, maybe earlier in this pandemic, it made a lot of sense and we may see markets fall again. Right now they've recovered quite nicely, but if they fall again and you, and you haven't thought about it the last time, maybe consider a Roth conversion. If your income is down and you can convert, you know, from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, now might be a good time to do that. And then finally, the thing we're recommending everybody do right now is refinance any home debt because... I mean, I literally yesterday, I got a quote from my mortgage person saying that I could get a 15 year fixed mortgage for under two and a half percent. That's, you know, that's free money when inflation is at two, two, two point one. That, right. Why would you not do that? Right. Right. And so when we think about money, it, it's a, it's a stressor, especially in turbulent times, right? When, when people that aren't as fortunate as the two of us are maybe struggling. So why is it that this is, is it, is it really just about being able to provide for oneself that makes it such a stressor or is there a cultural environmental other elements that make it such a high stress conversation for so many people? So I, I you know, starting the same way we started the last, the answer to the last question. Um, I think there is, there are people that have lost jobs where, you know, the stress comes from how am I going to pay my rent? And that, that's a different, that's a serious issue that, again, doesn't face everybody. Um, I think largely the concept of money is cultural or the concept of stress around money is cultural because we have, we've financialized everything. You know, our idea of success is, is normally financial. The entire, I have three sections in my book. The entire middle section of the book is devoted to remembering what true wealth is. So what are those things that, that bring us contentment? 
and happiness, things like staying healthy, continuous learning, you know, ex new experiences, maintaining close relationships, both with family and with friends, seeking purpose, something that some way that you can give to the world, staying accountable to yourself, being generous, being grateful. So one of the important implications of the planning process is you actually have to think about what matters to you. Your definition of success should involve things that make you happy. And if you build a life on that foundation, money's a lot less stressful. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's say somebody walks into your, well, maybe not walks into your office right now, but gives you a call <laughs> <laughs> and they have, they're like me, they have no clue what they're doing, but we know we need to do something. And my experience in the past with financial planners or wealth managers is there is a very short window for me to build trust, enough trust with them to believe what they're telling me and also trust them with my money. And so I'm curious, the concept of mindfulness, big fan of, but does it change the way you engage with someone when they first walk into your office or first engage with mindful money? What does that look like? So that, I mean, the, the difference, the mindfulness difference that we present or that we, that we believe in, I, I, I've always had that. So I don't know, I don't know how else I would do this, but when somebody does come into our office for that first time, you know, we're, we're really asking a lot of questions. So we want to know uh, what's important to folks, what you value, value, what's your, what's the financial history like, what are your money scripts? We really want to know if there is a philosophical fit between what we think we can offer and what somebody is looking for. We recognize that we're a bit different and we want to make sure that we can help, but you know, we're more than happy in cases where somebody thinks that, hey, trading's the right way to go or, or you know, timing the market, something they're interested in. Um, we're happy to introduce another advisor and, and recommend other people that have that believe that that's a possibility. Um, I've got no issue referring somebody else. The other part of this is we get a lot of calls from folks who you know like the book or have heard me on one of these podcasts and really like what we're saying, but who aren't ready for the types of you know higher touch services and the things that we do. So sometimes we end up referring them to some basic one of our courses. We have we have financial literacy courses. We're actually working you know in quarantine. We're working on a uh, a 16 module, you know, soup to nuts financial literacy course. We're going to use it, you know, in our community. We're also going to offer it to the world. And uh, sometimes we'll get them started with the course like that. And sometimes we'll say, hey, try out some of our digital tools or our digital portfolios that are a little bit less expensive, but also involve less of that, of, of uh, an actual planner involved. I love it. All right. So it, 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 do you, do you think, you know, I have a lot of friends be like, oh, no, no, I, I'm going to do it myself. I'm just going to open an E-Trade account or whatever, and I'm, I'm just going to trade stocks. That to me feels like timing. Am I, am I getting this? Like I'm trying to time the market. Is that a correct yeah. assumption? I mean, so there, I mean the, the, those folks fall into a couple of different categories. There are the people that are now on Robinhood and trying to, you know, if they're buying Tesla, and I think that's a problem. Um, but there's also <laughs> people that are saying, you know, I'm going to go to Vanguard and be broadly diversified. And I'm just going to do it myself. Both of those people, you know, I, I would worry about the person that's trading and buying Tesla, but the person that's being diversified, if you can do those three behaviors that we talked about earlier, the, the plan appropriate asset allocation, broad diversification, rebalancing, people can do that on their own. And if they can do their own, great. If they want some support in that process or support in the planning process, that's why we created the courses. Like we created the courses to educate people about, you know, and let's, let's, let's face, I mean, the reality is the financial life is way bigger than investing. Investing is a piece of it. There's a right way to do that, I believe. But there's all this other stuff, you know, your estate plan, your, 
you know, what are you, how are you gonna leave your kids? You know, when, when you're not there, do you insure stuff? Do you not insure stuff? You know, spending versus saving, how much do I have to save to get to point A, point B, point C? You know, what are the, all these different pieces are, are important to work together. And so I think people can employ those three behaviors themselves. I think that the challenge becomes when you're employing those behaviors yourself and then COVID happens, you know, can you stick with it when it's not comfortable? And that is, that is why, you know, when I first got healthy, when I went to the gym for the first few times, I had a, I had a coach that told me, you know, I realized this is painful, but you got to push out two more reps or I realized, I realized this is, this is not easy to do, but we've got to run another two miles and tomorrow we're going to run three more, you know? So it's, it's part of that coaching process is supporting the right behaviors precisely when it's the most difficult time to employ them. Okay. Love it. And so when you talk about goal focused and plan appropriate investing, can you go a little bit deeper on that? Cause it sounds great, but I'm not hundred percent sure I've got my head wrapped around it, which I'm going to assume means the audience probably hasn't either. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I'll, I'll make, it's really simple. So by being goal focused, what I'm saying is understand where you want to go at the beginning and then create a plan that involves not just uh, investment returns, but saving enough to get alongside those investment returns. And then you build a portfolio with the types of risk levels that would be appropriate to that plan. So plan appropriate is simply meaning, you know, don't just buy the S&P 500, there's a lot of risk in that. You know, maybe you need some bonds, maybe you need some international, maybe you need some other things in there. And you wanna set that risk level so that you can hold, again, when it's not comfortable to hold. The key is consistency, not brilliance. Uh-huh. I love it that our marketing team's going to pull that out as one of your quotes, just, you know, I can already tell, I know that one's coming. <laughs> and so, so is that one of the top mistakes you see individuals make is they don't keep that consistent behavior with those three behaviors as they go and do it themselves. Is that the, the number one challenge you see, or is there a different one? I, th- I think the number one challenge is people never actually stop to think about what are the behaviors they're supposed to employ, but yeah, once they know those behaviors, then they go out into the world and the world just throws them stuff all the time and they have to react and they become reactionary. And if you become reactionary, you're never acting on the plan. And if you, you know, great investors act on their plan, the investors that often fail are reacting to some sort of market stimulus all the time. And you just, you, again, you can't time markets. And that's the, that's the biggest illusion that the financial press has given us is that you know, so COVID happens, then I should do something. Well, well, when .com happened, I should do something. Well, what were you doing to begin with? Right. The, right. Figure it out and then do it that way. And don't change because somebody changes you know, the immediate present. Because, you know, how, how, how many of these things have happened and then they just go away in time? Right. And this, you know, it's difficult for people to hear it, but I've said this now a thousand times. COVID is painful. There's going to be a lot of people that die, a whole bunch more that are going to get sick, but this too shall pass. And yeah. markets and economies are going to kick off where they where they ended. And much is going to return to the way it was. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. First is simply as a CEO and founder, that makes you a target or prospect for a lot of other people out there selling (laughs) stuff. And so I'm always curious to know if somebody doesn't have a a trusted referral into you, they don't know somebody who you trust to to get into the door. What is it that works with you to capture your attention and, and pique your curiosity so somebody can earn time on your calendar? Wow. That's 
that's almost not possible. <laughs> I mean, seriously, so there's only, as you know, there's, we all, I do specifically, um, but I'm sure that most founders of companies do this. We build barriers to access. The only thing I actually check myself is my LinkedIn. And the vast majority of people trying to connect on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm, I actually may connect with them. But then if I get that email from them right afterwards that says, hey, you know, we think we have this new product that you should buy. I'm going to basically delete that connection immediately. Right. The, the, the trick, I think, is to make it personal. Like how many, I don't, you probably get this too. Like how many, how many LinkedIn requests or emails do you get where they're just, they haven't done their homework. I have people that are offering me jobs. I'm like, I have no interest in working for somebody else <laughs> at all. Um, so they haven't done their homework. They haven't looked at who I was, what I'm interested in, what I'm passionate about. But sometimes, like I had a, I had a high school student from Berkeley, California, that's where, I, where my office is who emailed me and it was intriguing because he actually asked the question, you know, how does mindfulness fit into personal finance and investing? I'm really curious. And that was it. He was curious about what I was passionate about. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to this kid. Right. right, right. So we've, we've connected and now he's, he's actually in our, in one of our education systems. But yeah, if you make it personal and you know what I stand for, then much more likely to get through. Uh, still, that's an uphill battle for sure. <laughs> All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional service people, just professional people in general, one piece of advice you could give them that you believe would help them hit their targets. What would it be and why? Just one. <laughs> just one. Yep. Just one. <laughs> um, all right. So the, the thing that helps them hit their target, I think is, is um, yeah, you got to keep score on the behaviors they're going to move the needle for you. So maybe it's, you know, maybe it's first time contacts, maybe it's LinkedIn connections, maybe it's getting proposals into the hands of great prospects, you know, choose the four or five things that move the, move the needle and then, and then track those things. And by the way, when I, when I did this for myself, I made daily exercise, one of the things that moves the needle. Cause I think that, I think that the difficulty of committing to a daily exercise program and you know the pain you experience in doing high intensity high intensity training kinds of things, pushing through that creates a muscle. Exercise is not just your muscles, but the habit muscle, the discipline muscle. And sales, as you know, is often just repetitive. You do this thing a number of times, and a certain number of people are going to say yes. And so I think you should get points for committing to health and. I'm going to sneak one in, leave a profit. This is my second one, leave a profit in every interaction with every potential client, make sure you're giving more than you're expecting. Yeah. I love that. I'm a big fan of that one myself as, as, as well as the exercise. So, all right. So Jonathan, if a listener's interested in learning more about the topics we've touched on, where's the best place to send them to the website? Yeah. Best place to go would be mindful.money. And if, if they sign up for, for our email list, um, make sure they reference either your name or the, or the name of the podcast. And uh, we will send them, you know, announcements when we're launching courses and those kinds of things. We'll send them invites to our, to some of the free courses we put out. Excellent. John, I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's been great having you on the show. Chad has been great. I appreciate it. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, you know, the drill B2B rev share with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes until next time we at value selling associates wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.